Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. We can ingest a lot of information and learn, but if we don't actually clear the structures of the mind, the ego is going to replace one problem with another. And so it's not just about learning more, it's about letting go and changing those structures and to have a mindfulness practice to be more clear. It's like we consciously don't think that there's something there, but if we slow it down and we listen, we'll find what the fear is. Part of the work that I'm committed to is about taking dominion over the mind so that I can reprogram what is true and what works for me. And so without doing some of the stillness work and the mindfulness work, we're just unconsciously living out of a lot of programming that we're not even awake to. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Alisa Nobriga. Alisa grew her company from scratch to the seven-figure business that it is today and teaches others to do the same. She's been featured as a keynote speaker and expert coach on Deepak Chopra's YouTube channel, Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Fox News, YPO, and Bank of America. So what I got out of this interview was how much your beliefs affect your actions. You know, most entrepreneurs are running unconscious programs that drive them to working harder without challenging the very beliefs that are driving them in the first place. You know, we have a belief that accomplishing a goal is going to make us feel a certain way when we get it, but can you really know beyond a shadow of a doubt that those feelings aren't there right now inside your body? So, you know, we covered so many areas like that, and I'm still kicking things around my head that she taught me. She's really, really smart really fun. It was a great interview. So give this episode a listen. Let me know your thoughts. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You know what? I am so freaking excited that you're on today because you are an absolute expert at helping people to eliminate blocks, both conscious and unconscious that if they just had a little bit of awareness could totally set them free. And I watched you do it live last weekend in LA and I knew that I had to have you on the show. So thanks for making the time. I'm so glad to be here with you. All right. So let's dial the clock back to growing up in Northern California at a really young age if I did my research right, you wanted, <laughs> you wanted to live in the woods as a healer and also wear high heels and live in New York. That was my dream too. And, <laughs> and, and work in marketing. Could you talk? 
talk about why both of those things were so important to you. You know, I have no idea why, but and I had no idea that those things would be different. Like I just knew that I wanted to do both of them. And I was actually reflecting right before this call, realizing that, so my dad was an entrepreneur and he sold his company. He was a financial advisor, sold his company at 50, had taken many risks, did pretty well and went turned shaman. So he did shamanic work and healing work because he was really disconnected with himself. And so what I got to see growing up, I think around 12, I knew I wanted to do healing work, but watching my dad chase happiness, this sort of external idea of what it means to have made it. And he reached all the goals, but wasn't happy. I got to know that I didn't need to play that out. And so watching his life, I was like, oh, I should really figure out relationships and healing work before I even go into any of those things that felt more rich and true. And so I he went entrepreneur to, to healer and I went healer to entrepreneur. So I got licensed as a psychotherapist and really I'm so grateful for that profession and the work that I discovered in it. And now it's about bringing more conscious living to entrepreneurs around how to get free and create our dreams along the way. You know, this is such an interesting conversation because I, I can count on like one finger how many people I know whose dad turned into a shaman. <laughs> so like you gotta you gotta give me a little bit more background on that. Sure. What, like what were the what were the steps that led to your dad saying, like, I, I just like I gotta, you know, I, I wanna step into this world. Was there a significant emotional event that happened or was it always in him? Or I think he had the operating system that money and success was what the goal was. And he a lot of suffering led to, oh, this was completely disconnected from his heart. And I think that he did a shamanic journey and that opened him up to a different reality that was happening beyond his stories. And it's interesting though, my whole family, I'm a family of five, we all started having, we all started waking up beyond what we were led to believe was true around life and questioning everything around the same time without speaking to each other. So the time that my dad sold his company and started doing facilitations and trainings with a shaman, I was also starting to question everything. And, you know, my parents were going about to go through a divorce. Um, My family was falling apart. I was going through a lot of challenges. We were all sort of having this dark night of the the ego. That's not really a dark night of the soul, but we were all having it at the same time and got to support each other's curiosity and looking in a different direction. That's amazing. I mean, that's that's crazy. How old were you around that time you became a shaman? I was maybe 14 at, at that time. And how do you think that that impacted the kind of work that you're doing now? Oh, I mean, I, I was, I, it's interesting because I, I came in pretty clear as a kid. I, I came in pretty clear and have a lot of memories of kind of what I call tripping out in vastness, like beyond a, a, a cognitive reality. And I, and only kind of figured that out when I went to meditation retreats later and realized, oh, this is very normal. This was like childhood. Um, so there's no concepts about it. It was just what was natural. But I, I knew pretty clear that of a deeper reality, a deeper truth. And my, my dad and my mom looking, my mom was going towards like Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, that sort of thing around the same time. And I think that that supported my natural curiosity because I started doing shamanic work at 14. I I did it between 14 and 19, but everyone was 60 years old. This was way before shamanism and, and healing work was popularized like it is now, at least in like certain communities. And so that was, and that's not necessarily my aligned work. Like I love it and I respect it, but my, my, most of my curiosity has been around spirituality, entrepreneurship, psychology, sort of that Venn diagram, that intersection of the three. Um, How do you really use everyday triggers to get more free and to live a more fulfilled and present life? But it definitely influenced and supported my natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of talk today about psychedelics. Mm-hmm. What is your take? You know, I'm 53 and I don't really remember hearing much about psychedelics in the way that I do today. Yeah. It just seems like, you know, all of my, uh, not all, but many of my uh, fellow podcasting hosts are are getting into it now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my friends are going to Burning Man and they're doing, you know, th- this world is becoming bigger and bigger. And now, you know, places like John Hopkins are 
are doing research yeah. around it. So do you have any you have any background there? I, any thoughts I on do, it? I do, mainly because I studied it in psychotherapy. So, you know, there's a lot of the, the hippies, the 70s, it was more LSD. There was different types of curiosity and exploring of psychedelics. Um, and I think that to me, what's sort of being popularized now, and a lot of people call it quote unquote medicine work, um, I think it depends on where we're coming from and who's holding space. So like anything can be abused and called medicine work when it's really recreational versus what is the intent? How often am I doing it? Is it waking me up to something deeper that I don't have to depend on for medicine work? Um, and is it really even being used that way? So I think us being honest with ourselves and listening and because sometimes you somebody may be called towards it and other times people aren't. I don't rely on it. And, I, and I've done it in the Amazon when I was around 20. I did ayahuasca with uh, a community and it was you know, it's it's it opened me to something else, but it's it wasn't a life changing experience for me. I feel like the daily mindset work that I do, the psychological and spiritual practices, those are what really changed my life. And there's not there's definitely a place for all of it, but I think us being honest about where it's coming from and is it really medicine work or is it recreational drug use? And so, um, how what's the intent of it and is there a dependency on it? I would just want to encourage people to be mindful about that. And then who's also holding space? Like how clear is the person that's holding space? And so there's just different elements that I would, I would, you know, I've been in that world for so long. So, and not necessarily that my dad explores that type of work, but, but I, I definitely have seen the shadow of it. And I've seen the gifts of it. Yeah, I, I can imagine that it goes, you know, it's a knife that cuts both ways, right? I mean, you get it done wrong and it's a bad experience, which I guess is a good thing that, you know, some some notable institutions, let's say, are trying to do it in regulated environments, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it's probably, it's probably smart that that's mm-hmm. happening. But do you remember, do you remember what the experience was like or after you do it, is it just out of sight, out of mind and you, you don't even know what I happened? mean, I, I remembered my experience, um, but it wasn't, I've had deeper spiritual awakenings that are much more um, prevalent in my, that it, that really changed my life more than uh, an ayahuasca, you know, I've only done that once, and it was in a very beautiful setting. What you know, beautiful teacher and very sacred, and it still wasn't for me personally that moving. It, it didn't, it didn't dramatically change my life. I also didn't feel off course. So sometimes I think people get the hit or the call to do something like that to help them get back on track, but I didn't feel pretty far off. I, what I love about the kind of work that you do is it's it's virtually impossible to separate the mind from the body. Mm-hmm. And a lot of therapy, you know, no no specific knock to talk therapy, but a lot of it is around just talking. Mm-hmm. But the kind of work you're doing is much more somatic. And if my anatomy is correct, soma is the body, yeah, right? that's right. Can you sort of explain how your model of therapy is different um, because it's a more or it is a somatic therapy. Yeah. So, and it's good just to kind of orient people. So I have two master's degrees. One is in spiritual psychology. The other is in somatic clinical psychotherapy. So I, and I don't work as a therapist anymore. I'm, I do leadership and per- performance and professional coaching. But for me, you have to, if there's an, as you're creating what you want to step into, you're going to hit up against unconscious programming. And if that's not really looked at, because we can, then you're you're going to keep hitting up against the same inner blocks or it's going to be harder to get to your next level. And so if we can ingest a lot of information and learn, but if we don't actually clear the structures of the mind, the ego is going to replace one problem with another. And so it's not just about learning more, it's about letting go and so and changing those structures and to have a mindfulness practice to be more clear. And so some of the work that I do, it depends on who I'm working with, but sometimes it's just somatic based, meaning you can feel the energy in the body without getting caught and looped into story. Some people are need a little bit more support. So for example, there are some entrepreneurs who are very go, 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 and they're re- trying to reach their goals in the future, but they're actually unconsciously, dr- they're running away from a fear of not being good enough or trying to unconsciously prove to their dad that they are they can be enough or whatever it may be. They're running away from something. And we'll never fully arrive where we are if we don't and enjoy our lives if we don't do some of that deeper work. And so some of the work can be um, somatically, meaning in your body, just embraced and experienced and it integrates into the nervous system. You're no longer looping in an unconscious trauma. 
Other people, and so sometimes entrepreneurs will think about and overanalyze their patterns rather than feeling them. And really, it only takes 90 seconds. Neuroscientists have found it takes 90 seconds to feel an emotion before it moves through. Well, other people are looping in the mind. So those people are looping in the mind. And again, we we have, I think it's 800 to 1400 thoughts a minute. Is it that? Was that right? Yeah. I think it's something like that. Yeah. The words, yeah. Thoughts that we, we think in a minute. And so the quality of our mind essentially creates the quality of our life. And so some people are just locked in their mind and they're looking at the future. Other people, they have no dominion over their mind and they're just unconsciously living out of it. So, so some people are avoiding feeling and other people are indulging in thought. And depending on who I'm working with, I'm going to address it in a different way so that they can feel more well-rounded and developed and not necessarily just live out of an unconscious programming. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And I'm thinking about, this is going to be a poorly worded question, so work with me. But you know, this, this podcast is really for the entrepreneur who recognizes that, you know, they're into entrepreneurship, they want to grow. That's the work hard part. But the part that they're weak in is the play hard Mm -hmm. part. They're just, you know, most of the people who listen to this, they just want to learn more tips, tricks, and strategies to become, you know, more Mm -hmm. successful. But really what I'm noticing after doing, I guess, a couple of hundred of these now, um, that the play hard part is largely ignored. And you said something that I think is probably the reason for it, or at least one of the reasons, which is, you know, they're unconsciously maybe trying to yeah. prove something or they're unconsciously running a pattern. And there's this, you know, there's, there's this sort of like, you know, to take it, to take it current, you know, there's this, you know, Gary V let's grind until there's, you know, our, like there's like blood coming out of our eyeballs because we're working so hard because we got to push and we got to grow. It, like, how do you, how do you talk or how do you address mm-hmm. or or how do you counsel the the guy or girl that just says you know I'm uh, I'm in this place in my life where I'm just growing my business I want to have the 10 million dollar exit I want the 20 million dollar exit and they're just so much ignoring all those other areas of their life whether it's spiritual or even even things like you know, learning about wine or learning about opera or spending, taking the weekends off. It's an addiction now. Yeah. They can't yeah. stop it. So how, how do you, how do you work with entrepreneurs? There's so like many that? things. And I, I can identify as one if I wasn't conscious of these misunderstandings, right? So if I didn't understand psychology, I would have just been driving myself to the bone, trying to achieve and prove my worth unconsciously. So I know that really well. And so what I would say is there's, there's elements of that that work. Meaning if you want to be successful, there is a level of like putting in your best and being consistent and things that are really beautiful about that. And so not to shame or to judge anything that you realize within yourself. I think the more we accept what's what is, the easier it is to change it. And so as we're being like, oh, actually I shouldn't be working all the time and ignoring my health or my relationships, knowing that cognitively won't help necessarily. But what we can do is to slow it down to ask, what are those unconscious payoffs? What are the things that I think that I'm going to get when I arrive at that goal? So we've been fed a story in society that in the future, when we're successful and we've hit those goals, then I'm going to get X, Y, and Z. So what I would encourage anybody listening is to write down, what do you think that you will feel when you arrive at all of your goals? Maybe you'll feel proud and excited and accepted and connected. And it's like, if I'm wealthy and I've made impact and I've done all the things, what am I going to feel? And then write down what those feelings are. And then once you've got your list of feelings, honestly ask yourself, can I know without a shadow of a doubt that those feelings aren't here now? And then we can honestly ask for ourselves. And what I've noticed is like, oh, I can't absolutely know that those feelings aren't here now. And I can evoke those feelings inside of myself in my life as I'm going towards my goal. So I'm not a victim to my goal, but I can experience what I think the goal will give me now, right? Starting with the end in mind, experiencing that feeling now. And so that's like a, it's a small thing that can help. It's not going to be the end all be all. You have to do deeper work around that, especially if there's a a real pattern for the three type in the Enneagram, the achievers, which I imagine this is a big part of the audience. So 
you want to look at what are the unconscious blocks that have set up this idea that I will be better when I perform or I am what I do, right? Because when our identity is caught in it, the roller coaster of entrepreneurship is going to go up and down. And if we're on that roller coaster, we're going to get dizzy. But we don't realize that we are the witnessing presence that can step back and see that roller coaster go up and down. And as a result, we can be more resourceful with making changes in our businesses and our lives. And so understanding there's unconscious blocks. So identity is a big one, getting off the roller coaster, noticing I am what notices. That's a deeper conversation we can get into if that feels like it's supportive. The other one is looking at maybe there's a competing intention. If I, and I've no- noticed this inside of myself, if I try to, if I take care of my needs and this is unconscious, so it's not, you know, I may say this and it may sound like, oh yeah, I can relate to that or it may not, but you have to find what yours are. And if you slow down, it's most likely in there. But if you are not taking care of your relationships, there's some competing intention that says, if I take time to take care of my relationships, I won't be as successful. And I would question that because oftentimes when we're ignoring one area of our life, it's going to drag us down and affect all the others. And so if you're not taking care of your health or your happiness or your well-being, like it, it, it's like, you know, they, they use the analogy of a tire of your whole life wheel. And if you're ne- neglecting one aspect, it's like having a flat tire. You're not going to be optimal in all areas. So you want to look at the unconscious misunderstandings that you can't be both healthy or um, happy in your marriage or what it, whatever the thing is that you're neglecting and be successful. You think that it's either or, and I would question that so you can get behind yourself and then notice I value these two things. How can I co-create that life for myself? I love that. I never thought about competing atten- intentions. And one of the things that popped in my head is um, I had a child much later in life. And, uh, you know, one of the benefits of marrying a younger gal. And, you know, I definitely can feel that, you know, there are times where I've got so much stuff to do and she mm-hmm. wants to play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, talk about, talk about competing mm-hmm. intentions. You know, if I take the time, if I really ask that question, I do feel that it's going to impact my level yes. of success and that's where the in, you know that's where the competing intention comes in so that's it's really interesting to ask these questions yeah uh, yeah. And I, I was just remembering a story that I had where I was inquiring, I was questioning the belief that I had to work hard for money. And I was just before about to do a launch. I, I was working, it was launching a leadership program with women. And I was just about to do a launch. My friend invited me on her honeymoon. They were going to take a private jet to uh, the Caribbean and get on a yacht and they had extra space and it was all taken care of. And I was already going to be at their wedding and we were just going to take off from there. But I had this launch coming up and typically my old self, my worker hard be mentality would be like, you got to have all the sales calls. You've got to set it all up so that you um, will have, you know, you'll be more successful with the launch. And I was questioning the belief that I had to work hard to make money. And so I'm literally on a private jet questioning this belief in the air. And I'm laughing because on that trip, I had a conversation with the woman who I was crushing her honeymoon. And she invited me to host my launch at her house, which was much larger than mine at the time, which meant that I could allow more women to come in. And being on vacation, I had more people see my Instagram and more people get curious about what I was up to. And I sold more spaces because I was having fun. But I wouldn't have been able to see that if I hadn't have questioned the belief. And I wouldn't have been able to give myself permission to go on a vacation before my launch. It's really interesting. How do you how do you identify the beliefs and how do you I guess I guess I guess questioning them is fairly obvious. You just ask it, it, whether or not the belief is true. But mm-hmm. how do you identify that you even, you know, have, have one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So your life will be a result of your your life is sort of mirroring you, your mindset. So if you're, you know, I'm even thinking with your child. And in one aspect, as you were telling that story, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is your teacher reminding you to play, right? Because I've done that with my kids. I'm like, oh yeah, they're here reminding me to play. But in terms of like, if my life is reflecting to me, oh, I should be having, I should be having more time with my kids, but I've in like, there's some level of guilt. Then I would look at if there's any contraction essentially in your body there that you're buying into a limiting belief. And that's the feedback that there's something that you are unconsciously or consciously living out of. So um, one thing that you can ask yourself is one fear I have of doing the thing you really want to be doing. So one fear I have of playing more, 
is, well, I won't be as successful or, you know, what, and then you just list the ways and then that gives you breadcrumbs to question each of those beliefs and those breadcrumbs come back to your own freedom. Mm. So one fear I have of doing the thing, like, and, and oftentimes these things are really unconscious again. So it's like, I remember I was talking to a woman who wanted to lose weight and that's not my area of expertise, but I said, one fear you have of losing the weight. And she's like, I have no fear of losing the weight. And I said, slow it down. Just get mindful. I said, if you lose the weight, you fear. And then she, her eyes teared up and she was from India and she hadn't processed her divorce and she felt outcasted by her community because and shame, shamed about it. So she thought if she lost the weight, she would be more attractive and she didn't want to pr- deal with those feelings. And so... It's like we consciously don't think that there's something there, but if we slow it down and we listen, we'll find what the fear is. And sometimes it just takes stillness to just sit in it. And then it's like, oh yeah, I unconsciously think that so that I wouldn't be as successful if I took that time off. So for me, I have a, a practice every Friday from 10 to 11 where I'm questioning my beliefs. Mm. And they're very subtle. Like it's just, I, I've been doing this work for so long. It's not like they add up, but they're so subtle. And I can always trace back to when I where, where it originally came from. And so I actually schedule that time. And I'll tell you, my ego resists it a lot. And every time I do it, I'm like, this is the work I'm meant to do. This is what changes my life and what changes other people's lives. So... I recognize, I remember, okay, so I was at Lori and Chris's mastermind when when we connected um, or Chris's mastermind. And I remember I was talking to Lori in the back. I remembered there was an image of her like having her book launch and on social media, it made it seem very easy. And I projected a story. Oh, it's really easy for Lori. And I thought, and then I was like, why do I think everything needs to be hard for me? I just got curious. Where would this have come from? And I realized, and so again, like this isn't conscious, you have to take stillness. I realized when I was learning how to read, it took me longer than other kids. And so I got pulled out of class to get extra tutoring. And that was the moment that I bought into the idea that I have to work harder than other kids. And then I projected that onto the rest of my life until I discovered, holy shit, that's not necessarily true. Like I just bought into that and then I've been living out of that unconsciously. And so I got to reprogram and recode that operating system. God, it's so crazy. And so much of it has to do with references, I would suppose. Like, for example, the first thing that that popped in my mind, because Lori, Lori Harder and I know each other for a long time, right? Probably 15 years now. And, you know, she was working at LA Fitness, making seven bucks an hour as a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. So that's the reference and the lens mm-hmm. that I look through her life now. Mm-hmm. And I see. I, I look at her completely opposite. And so when, when somebody says something to me like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy for her. I'm like, that was not easy for her. She worked her ass off. Yeah. You know? And I know <laughs> that to be true. And the mind's going to just, it's just going to put, so here's the thing that the, the mind is not that intelligent. You find a story. If you just buy into a story, it's going to find all the evidence for how that's true. But you could, you could flip the story to the exact opposite and it's going to find all the evidence for how that's true. And so part of the work that I'm committed to is about taking dominion over the mind so that I can reprogram what is true and what works for me. And so without doing some of the stillness work and the mindfulness work, we're just unconsciously living out of a lot of programming that we're not even awake to. God, it's so true. I was I was listening to uh, Joe Dispenza. Uh, you know Joe Dispenza, yeah? I do, yeah. Just, just discovered his work. Okay, really, really interesting stuff. By trade, I was a uh, chiropractor for 25 years and he went mm-hmm. to the chiropractic school that, uh, that I went to. And he talked about the mind in what would seem to be a cruel way to people, but I'm sort of like understanding a little bit more. He was saying that you have to, you have to train the mind almost like you have to train a dog to sit. Mm-hmm. You got to train your mind to, you know, you have, you have to train your mind to sit in the same way because it doesn't operate the way we think it operates. And that's what made me think of what, you know, what you were just talking about. You know, this is really interesting. The The Belief Fridays is my new favorite. I think that's unbelievable. I'm trying to figure out how what, what the mechanics of that looks like. So if you can just get a little bit granular on that. So Friday, you know, Friday morning, you sit at your desk, cup of coffee, you write your beliefs down. Like, what's that look like? No, my ego will not necessarily. So I will overwork if I don't put time on the calendar and get committed to myself with someone else. 
So I will either hire people to do creative projects with me. Otherwise, I can get pulled into other things or I will do an accountability partner. This is what I call as an inquiry partner. Inquiry means to question. So I'm questioning my mind every Friday. So for from 10 to 11, um, I have a partner that I meet with every week. She does a half an hour of questioning one belief. We really take one belief really deep and question it. And then I'll hold space for her and and we'll flip, we'll switch places. And so to me, I'll share my insights because she's not necessarily seeing... It's almost like when the mind is so focused on one belief system, one way of seeing something, it takes a minute to open the aperture to say, hey, what else has been happening outside of my stories about the moment, right? Or of this... Like, and I'll use a triggering experience oftentimes that I'll, that I'll work with that a moment, like a moment of impact. So for example, throughout the week, if there's a moment where I get an email and I have a contraction, or if there's a repetitive, low grade, annoying belief system that I'm aware of, like I need to work hard or I'm not being productive enough. Like that was the one I did today. I'm not being, I'm not being so productive because since July up until last week, I've been in launch mode. And so I took that same productivity mindset into the last two weeks. And my story has been that I've not been as productive. Now I understand because I've done mindset work enough. I understand that there's a positive intention behind everything. So I'm aware that, and so therefore I don't judge any of it, which is really helpful, right? Because what you're, what you judge you're stuck with, but I'm aware that I'm telling myself I'm not being productive enough as an unconscious way to motivate me to be more productive. But when, but when I question it, I realize that just makes me paralyzed, uninspired, and not as productive. So I have compassion that it's trying to get me to be productive, but I can take dominion to see that it's actually not helpful. So I will say, well, what would be productive for today? And I'll write down three things and then I'll let go. I'll have compassion with the old mindset that tries to sort of like kickstart me through fear or stress into the thing that I want. So do you select the belief for your inquiry with your partner or mm-hmm. does she just poke around in there and find some? No, we, we both come to the call with one belief that we want to question. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. God, there's a million questions I want to ask you. That is, that is <laughs> really freaking fascinating. Does the belief ever flip where you, yes. <laughs> you think you have a belief and then, well, maybe, I guess here's a question. Do you ever go like, no, I'm not working enough. I've been goofing off and I, you know, I've I've been on the couch relaxing and I'm not working enough. Mm. I need to be working mm. more. You know what I mean? Like I'm 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 just, you know, it's a, in other words, it's not is a it sometimes false true. It, yeah. is, is is the belief sometimes true? Sometimes sometimes it is, but you know, the ego needs a time to exist. So it needs a future and a past. It needs a reference point. And if you can say, "Can I know without a shadow of a doubt in that moment that what I was believing was accurate. No, it, it, it's, there's no belief in my looking. There's no belief that's ever true. And that can't be another belief that any listener listens to. You have to slow down to find out for yourself. And my ego sometimes will still hold on and be like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but you know, in the ego's mind, it may think that being productive is working all the time, but that's not necessarily productive. That's just busy, right? And so, you know, I've had, I've, you know, it's just so funny because I've really looked at this, even the productive conversation for a while. I remember I was on Deepak Chopra's YouTube channel. They came in, I wasn't doing any PR. I was not, didn't really have my work out there. They found me and recorded three sessions in a day, brought some people over for me to coach, had really powerful experiences they took off. And that day could have seemed very productive, whereas all the work as like a therapy or as a therapist or as a coach working with clients, like that that wasn't necessarily in my ego's mind productive unless it was like you know the the client had a big result that I could see, right? Otherwise it was judging what was relevant, what wasn't based on a result, based on, yeah, time, essentially. So not only, I think, do we need to change the reference point, but we also need to get very microscopic and specific and present for us to see through all of the illusions of the mind. I would suspect that the more you do this, the better you get at it and the more you're able to identify the beliefs as they're popping up. You know, In other words, you're witnessing the contraction. You're like, oh, right. there's another one. Yeah, <laughs> it's like mental training. That's right. It's like it's like going to the, the gym internally. It's mental exercise. And so it, it's, there's muscle memory, but if you don't stay on top of it, you lose. You, it, it's almost like a th- an old, I, you know, I had a huge 
the core story, I would say everybody lives out of a core story. You know, that if you take all the limiting stories and you come back to one specific story, it's, it's oftentimes flavors of I'm too much or I'm not good enough. There's like very common themes. And the more, and I used to live out of that unconsciously thinking that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't successful enough. And it was gripping and it was a lot of comparative mindset. And I, not only had a big awakening around it, around my identity, but there was also consistently doing the mindset work. It's just no longer something that I believe there's space between that thought and me just living out of it. And I'm so grateful for that. So it's almost like those years of doing the Friday you know, morning inquiry, these types of things, these practices pay off. And then you don't trust your mind when you're in a negative state. You know, you don't, you don't buy into it so easily unless you're tired or unless, but it's worth it. I mean, again, like my experience is that our thoughts dictate the quality of our lives. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about couples therapy. You are, if I say this correctly, uh, Imago? Imago. Yeah. I used to, uh, I used to do Imago therapy for couples. Yeah. Okay. What? By the way, the thought of doing couples therapy makes me feel like I want to jump out of freaking building in Manhattan. Like I can't stand to go out to dinner with somebody and I can like sense like the tension. Like that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like going in, like running into the fire <laughs> is nuts. So why would one become a couples therapist and what is Imago? Therapy? Great. So I, I think I unconsciously wanted to help my parents heal their marriage. But I also was really questioning why I get married. What, like if happily ever after make, doesn't make sense. You know, divorce rates were like forty-seven percent. It was just, it was for me my own question about wanting to help them, but also, can you even really get this thing right? And so I went into really specialized working with couples, and I did three thousand hours of almost unpaid internship with couples, and in a year and a half, and then I got burnt out. I was like, okay, I need a break from working with couples, and I went towards entrepreneurship, and I've been doing that for five years, and have built my own successful company and love it. But what it's interesting is that everything is relationships, whether that be with your employees, your colleagues, your partner. It's they're the same relational dynamics play out because they're all a mirror for yourself. And so imago actually means image in Latin. And so essentially it's like, and in my experience, everybody is a mirror showing you an aspect an aspect about yourself that you haven't more fully embraced or that you haven't owned because both negative and positive are both being mirrored to you. And you don't need to change anyone outside of you, but as you change, they change. And some things may work for you and they may not, but if you have, you don't have a trigger about it, then it's just easier to just say, oh, that doesn't, that's not a fit for me um, in terms of behavior. But in, in essence, um, I think the deeper work for me is around relationships and that can be personal or professional. Do you still do it or no longer? I don't. Mm-mm. Do you miss it? I don't right now, but I feel like, you know, here's the thing, my experience, I, without being arrogant about this, I feel very proud of my marriage and the relationship that my husband and I have created. And I don't feel like there's much more growth edge there. I, and I like to, I'm addicted to growth. So I live out of my values and we continue to grow and evolve, but it feels really easy and beautiful and enhancing. There's not like wounds to be healed anymore. I feel like there's most relationships get together to help each other heal wounds. And if you cannot just blame your partner and you can t- you can look at it and change with inside of you, you're going to change every other relationship in your life. I feel good about relate my relationships and where my growth edge felt like five years ago was around business. And so I dove into that, into business and really started building mine to where it is now. And I and now I feel like that's fun, but I'm I'm there's for me I guess the heart of my work is around the, the mind is around the quality the inner experience of your life and then how that shows up both in who you date or who you marry and who you you what relationships you cultivate as well as how much money you make and what's the quality of your business and your life. One of the things I found um, incredibly interesting about you, and it was it was something that I didn't I didn't expect, and uh, Lori pointed it out, and I couldn't I couldn't really put my finger on it. You have, and I'll explain why I'm asking this question, but you have the ability to be, or you are, 
to my to my eyes to my mind incredibly feminine while remaining extraordinarily powerful and that's not to say that power equals masculine mm-hmm. but it's it's an unusual trait that i don't see often with entrepreneurial minded women mm-hmm. i find that either women this is just my bias mm-hmm. i'm perfectly willing to admit that that they're either super feminine or they're super entrepreneurial, but the more entrepreneurial they are, generally, in my experience, they lean more masculine. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have an issue with that? And if you did, how did you step more into your feminine power? Yeah, this this is a great question. And it's actually a big part of what I like to speak on, which I call conscious leadership, which is developing both masculine and feminine ways of leading our lives and our businesses. So it was something that I intentionally developed because I used to feel like I was identified with Phoebe from Friends, (laughs) where I was like, belly cat, like very free spirited, very much into all I cared about most of my life was around awakening. Until I was 31, all I cared about was living a deeper truth. And then the pendulum swung and I want and then it was like how do I sink my teeth into all of life and I went into business and I hired a coach and I started I mean I've always been athletic but I you know I did things that were more like soul cycle more much more intensity type workouts and learned business and really went more in my mind versus my heart. And so I it was something that I intentionally worked with and, and and still look at in terms of integrating on a deeper level. But I I feel like the feminine is very and it's interesting because I work with I work with men and women and I'm actually going to be doing more programs to mix the two. For a while, it felt important to support women and knowing what is our essence independent from men in a leadership position in a leadership role because I feel like women are more collaborative. You know, you look at little girls on the playground and they're sitting in a circle, you know, pretending to play tea, whereas little boys are on the playground like playing catch with one other person. And it's there's more of an activity and it's less about talking. So, it's more focused, more a little bit more fierce in that in that way, um, and and directed, and and so for me, learning how to develop both of those parts, and then showing other. And, and also now taking men and women into programs together, showing men what it looks like to be available to their feelings and that those actually, if we don't feel a feeling, we actually feel them for the rest of our life because we're avoiding them and they're just subconsciously being suppressed. And again, it takes 90 seconds to feel it and it moves through and it actually helps us feel lighter and more productive. So teaching men, showing men what it looks like, and this is a general overstatement as well, but showing men what it looks like to be in touch with their feelings and how to surf the wave and navigate it so you're not indulged in feelings and you're not... And maybe, let me just preference. I'm, I'm, I'm saying masculine, feminine, but I'm also saying head, heart. Um, and I'm not necessarily, com- I am, I guess, connecting one with the other, but I would say women are generally speaking more in touch with their emotions. So just teaching men how to surf the wave without getting indulged in it and without avoiding it, right? So there are some people that run and some people that cling and you want to know what your thing is so that you don't do the thing unconsciously and can develop the other way. Whereas women, like also teaching women about mindset, how to take dominion over their mind so they're not just unconsciously in spin cycles looping in an emotion that's not productive or effective. So it's something that I have nurtured and have a body of work around. Whereas like I, I imagine that the masculine is much more about creating clients and the feminine is about attracting clients. So I teach a lot of coaches and entrepreneurs how to have both online so that you feel more whole and developed, but you're also using both of those superpowers to grow your business. Yeah, there's also, that's exactly right, the superpower. There's also a lot of power in that. I can tell you that when a woman is in her feminine, she can get anything she wants from me. <laughs> but when a woman when a woman steps into her masculine, my masculine wants to fight it. <laughs> so I love, I, I just I just think you're incredibly powerful. I feel, in like, way. I feel like a woman really in her power doesn't need anything from anyone. Like she knows yeah. her inherent worth and just embodies yeah. it. She's got it. Yeah. And that's um, more attractive. Right, that's more attractive. It's like, oh, you don't need me, and like, I'm, I lean in. I'm curious. That's exactly right. Yep, you nailed it. You nailed it. You know, I wanted to ask you a little bit um, as we slowly start to wrap here. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And as you got a little older, we talked about your childhood in the beginning, but as you got a little older, 
you wanted to be a rapper, a skater, a cheerleader, are any of those uh, areas still in your personality? <laughs> I'm not sure. So I'm not sure where that came from, but I know that when I was younger, like when I was around 12, that's where I started looking for my identity. And I wasn't sure if I was a rapper, a skater, a cheerleader. I was trying on all the things and realizing none of them really fit. I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I belonged to any of them. But the conversation for me around fulfillment has been, and both for myself, but also supporting and coaching my clients has been about identifying core values. So for me, my core values are connection, growth, service, truth, and love. And if I am expressing those values in all areas of my life, so how I spend money, how I nurture my relationships, how I run my business, if I'm my health, like for example, I'll do fitness classes because I like connection or I have a service element to my business. And if I'm living in alignment with those values, I inherently just feel fulfilled. And then there's no more like chasing empty goals. I'm enjoying the process more so along the way. How did you identify those, uh, those five? It took me a minute. It was like trying on a coat and like seeing what fit. So I started looking at the things that I do that are themes in my life and just writing them down. And then I clumped them together. So for example, connection for me means connection to myself, to my, and my relationships, to nature. And so that word encompassed a, a few different things. So I just, I just wrote some things down, looked at, did some reflective thinking in my life and then felt really solid with those five. But it took me like maybe four days or so. Okay, cool. All right, so we're going to we're going to bounce around a little bit into some areas that may seem weird to you, so let's just roll with it. Okay. What is the new behavior or belief that you've had in it could be a year, a month, whatever you mm-hmm. want to choose that has significantly improved the quality of your life? I can receive more support. Mm, I love that. What is the one goal that you thought, if I just achieve this thing, my life is going to be amazing. And then you got (laughs) it and you were like, it didn't do it. Mm, Doubling my business. Oh, that's a good one. I love to hear that. And I'll just share a side story. That was just because I was doubling with products and I wasn't connected to my audience. And so I wasn't fulfilled, although my business had doubled and has every year. But that was feedback that it wasn't in the numbers. It was in aligning with my values. I was going to say it goes back to those core values you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Bali or Mm -hmm. where I live because I absolutely love where I live. But I, there's something for me and I always love islands. It's more feminine. I feel like I really get to surrender and that, that lifestyle nurtures everything that I value. Health, wellness, connection, transformation, growth. It's interesting. I just did a podcast with um, one of the gals who wrote a book, Ayurveda for Dummies. Oh and, yeah, Sahara. Uh, it's Sahara, yeah. Yeah, it's and, my girlfriend. We're going to oh, Bali in March. <laughs> to oh, well, that's uh, well, this is a small world. Um, she was lovely, and uh, one of the things that she said about Bali is, she said, you know, it's a very feminine thing. It'll bring you right into the womb, and if it's not right for you, it'll spit you out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty graceful. I think it opens you in a really soft way, whereas somewhere like India feels a bit more harsh and masculine um, and can spit you out. But yeah, I think I think Bali. Welcomely warms most people, and and yet you know maybe people have different experiences. I love it. If you can go to one restaurant before you die, where would your last meal be? Mm, I am not a foodie. I don't. You're actually not a care. foodie. You don't care. <laughs> you know, you are the first person that didn't answer that. She's really? like, I'd go to Tony's Pizza Place on Fifty oh, Third and Third. That's sweet. Okay. That's yeah. funny. Okay. What is the thing that's rocking your world right now that has nothing to do with work? on learning, on questioning all my beliefs. Like tomorrow, I just, my husband and I are going to fly out to do a silent retreat. We just decided today. And that feels like the thing that rocks everything the most for me is the space of, of unknowing. And how long is a silent retreat? This will just be a day because it's a, a day long, but we've, te- we've done maybe seven silent retreats a year. They're five days. So for five days, you're not speaking. That's right. Oh my God! I I am. You're gonna have to. Give, you're gonna have to give me uh, Dramamine or whatever it is to, to, get, <laughs> to get me through. I need a lot of work. After with day you. three is really easy. The mind starts settling down. So it's like fasting. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, when you look back on your life, what stands out the most for you thus far? Hmm. My relationships. Hmm. 
All right, we're going to move into the last part, which is the rapid fire round. Answer as quickly as you would like. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? My presence. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Being outcast. What keeps you up at night? Mm, my mind. It's <laughs> mm, a great answer. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Mm. What my deeper purpose and intention is. What book have you reread or listened to the most? A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. What's your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. What's one thing you own and probably should throw out, but you never will? I actually throw everything out. (laughs) 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 I don't hold on to anything. I'm not very sentimental. Uh, If you can give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about, or really anything that you like or have a passion for, what would that be? Mm, Wonder and music. Music, elaborate a little bit. I feel like it just catapults and transports and it's like this perfume that enhances every moment. And I feel like we don't do enough studies on the psychological well-being of music. Mm, God, that's so good. I love that. I love that. There's an app I'm using now I'll share with you. It's called brain.fm. Okay. It's, it's music that's designed specifically with frequencies to listen to while you're working, mm-hmm. while you're journaling, and it's really freaking good. Beautiful. Yep. So the last question, we're going to change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? Mm, what is your deeper purpose and intention? To wake people up to their lives, mm. to realize that there's only so many years we have left. And, and you know, if you live to the average age of, uh, let's call it 84 years old, uh, you look at those numbers, you realize you don't have that many uh, years left. And so it's time now to start taking a bite out of some different apples to see what you like. If you don't like it, spit it out, but at least start trying different things and stop focusing all of your energy on working more and more and ignoring all of those other things that you can be doing. There's a whole world out there. And uh, I think if they just were willing to take some time and see it and try new things, their life would be different. I love it. Well, this went quick. Thank you so (laughs) much. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? No, my intention is just to be of service. If there's anything that I said or that I can support somebody with, feel free to reach out. I'm here. Well, you are absolutely amazing. I thank you so much for taking the time and it is a pleasure to get to know you. Me too. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 